So welcome back to the Backroads Podcast. So much to get to on today's episode. No, there wasn't a full moon out, but uh, based on some things that went on, you might think that there was. It's been a wild and crazy seven days since we left you last Sunday. So let's get right into it. We got a great head coaching interview coming up with Mike Reed over at Gordon. So I'm Craig Spear with the Happy Sports Network and PressPassports.com. And I'm Bobby Brown with Texas 1A Fan. Well, Bobby, I mentioned it there. We got so much to get to. It's been a while. I mean, you look at the last seven days, we got a lot to talk about, including football games, which is really the most important thing here. But so many things happening outside the lines to get to. But let's get started with, you know, I, I think I kind of bring it up in this interview. It's almost like a, a legend series here. We're bringing in Mike Reed, the head coach over at Gordon. Two state titles to his name. He's been to the state title five times. So let's get right into it. Here's Coach Mike Reed over at Gordon. So, Bobby, next up on the podcast, uh, as we always do, we bring in a coach to start the show out with. And, you know, we had Vance Jones. So we're going to keep with legends, and we're going to bring in the legend from a Gordon head coach, Mike Reed. Coach, welcome in this evening. Well, I appreciate it. I, I'm glad to know on the legends list there were uh, plenty before me, so I'm, I'm glad I'm going down on the list. So I really appreciate <laughs> that. Not the top of the legends. I'm just somewhere in there in the mix, so I appreciate that. Well, you know, we'll, we'll put you on the legends list right next to Bobby as the greatest oh, Jake my. athlete ever. So that, that's, you know. that's true. I, I saw that on the ballot, I, and uh, I, I, it wasn't even close. It was a landslide. Uh, I feel sorry for the second place person, almost oh. like how I feel right now being on this po- podcast. So, oh, my lord, you guys- see, Bobby, I, I don't even know Coach Reed five minutes, and I already, I already love the guy because you know we're we're giving you a hard time, and you need it. Uh, so I know, I know. Why is that so much fun? Yeah, you know that's what we do. So, Coach Reed, uh, let's just kind of talk about things here. You are a guy that's been around for a while. You've got been to five state titles. You've won two of those. You went into 11-man football for a while there at Hamilton before coming back to Gordon. Just kind of talk about your your coaching um, journey that you've been on and, and kind of where it's gotten you to today. Well, I feel really blessed because when I, I came from a good program, ran under Nelson Campbell, who uh, was like a father to me and, uh, you know, really kind of got me into, co- into coaching um, and was such a fantastic role model for me. So when I went to Tarleton State, I volunteered coach for five years. And during that, and during that time, I go to class in the morning and come back. And so I learned how to be a multi-sport coach from football to basketball to baseball track, because I would just go to school in the morning and then I'd come help out in practices in the afternoon. And during that time, those five years, we won two state titles and went to state quarterfinals three times. Strawn had a position come open right down the road and uh, Nelson offered me a job when I graduated, but it wasn't going to have any coaching duties to it. And so uh, Strawn also had another position come open. So I did a, some, I did two years of assistant coaching under uh, Clyde Parham. And then, uh, yeah, switched over to the girls' side after football and was with Joe Crabb, who if anybody knows anything about girls' basketball, he's one. he is the legend. You would start with him first on the list. So I was under him for two years. It lucked me into a job in rule. I really didn't know much about it. I uh, just knew I had – football job was coming open they had a good junior high um and so I applied for that job and a guy by the name of David Parr uh, hired me and gave me an opportunity and had a really good you know six-year run there um and then obviously speaking of Jayton Jaybirds in that third year we hired a guy by the name of Ryan Blocker who uh, uh two young guys just starting their careers and um at that time at Rule we were the smallest 
the, the smallest school to ever play in the state football championship, state basketball tournament, and win the state track meet. Uh, Monday had come close, and like South Lake Carroll has, has come close to some things like that. But at that time, we were the only school to be able to do that. So I left there. We just com- did not want to leave rule, but just completely ran out of kids. There was there was one year left, and the well was dry. And uh, I kind of interviewed at O'Donnell in Sterling City. I really thought I was going to end up being in Sterling City. Um, but Throckmorton called me. Guy resigned there, and I went to Throckmorton. Had a great six years there. I didn't want to leave Throckmorton. Uh, but I just kind of really had that itch of like, can I really coach six man foot or 11 man football? It was just kind of that thing. Like people kind of always look down at you like, well, you know, can uh, they, you know, people just kind of look down at six man in the profession a little bit. And I, I felt like as a coach, uh, it didn't matter what sport it was that I could compete at the highest level with those guys, uh, and, and run a program. So I interviewed for the job at, at Hamilton. I, I did not think I'd get it. I was going to leave a state championship group in Throckmorton, which it did end up winning it. I did get the job in Hamilton, and uh, that was a really, really challenging uh, and enjoyable uh, four years. And really wasn't looking to leave, but the job came back open in Gordon. My kids are getting into junior high and high school and just kind of felt like it was an opportunity to come back home. So, and, and you talked about it, coming back to Gordon and, and taking that run at 11-man football. People, and, and you mentioned it, people oftentimes will look down on six-man football. Well, that's not real football. If someone were to come up and tell you that, how do you how do you respond back to them? Oh, you know, I, I think if somebody said that, they necessarily don't understand sports. Um, we, we have three new coaches on staff right now that, we, that I'm beyond blessed to have. Uh, we have a guy by the name of Shad Reed who's been at Franklin, Callisburg. Um, he, he was a principal in Nazareth and, and during their little six man year. And now he has a son that's playing for us right now. That's a freshman. And, uh, I think he would be the first advocate to sit there and say, these guys that say that are just, they are absolute out of their mind. They have no clue the physical shape and, and things that you have to be in to first of all, do it, let alone the assignments and fundamentals are exactly the same. Uh, and his kids taking it to like a duck to water. And then uh, we have another coach who's uh, from Stanford who uh, was in the state baseball tournament, uh, went to uh, won a state championship in football, played with James Washington uh, for now for the Cowboys. Uh, and he, and he has been 11 man through and through uh, and has now joined our staff and he, he is in love with it. And then we have another kid by the name of Jesse Hallmark who was on the state championship Brock football team who's just starting his coaching. So we really have three 11 man guys that have come in and I'm telling you, they they have just taken to it, and, and the respect value from them uh, wasn't low coming in. They knew it was good football, and so ended up being a good situation for them. So I, those guys that say that just don't know sports, and they just I, – I really don't take much to it. I used to get offended by it, but now I just realize, you know, you just – it's just ignorance. Well, that, that makes me want to ask you this question, too. So you win a state title in six-man, end up going back to 11-man, then you come back to six-man. Was there anything in the 11-man game that you were able to bring to six-man that you really didn't have before that you went, hey, I think this will work, whether it was a scheme or just a, a philosophy? Yes, most definitely. Um, and I would say vice versa. I think the 11-man people can really learn some things from what we've done. And I would say the people that were on staff for us could could tell you that. I would say the first and foremost thing that I that I ended up 
uh, stealing and getting away is the importance of the of the defensive run fitting and how important it is to not to be gap sound to not have kids uh, running through the same gaps um, and to know who's trailing behind who has the run cut back and take it to the finest detail and then how to how to teach it you know how to how to rep it and maximize it yeah and and then the organization part uh, for me I have you know I have seven coaches on staff. Uh, I'm in charge of 12 coaches all together in a program. Uh, I have to make sure that they're not, that they're not just being efficient coaches, but they're also being efficient teachers. The organization level of, of running a three, you know, a three, a program made me a better person in, because when you're in a six man school, you might have a staff of three or it just might be you and one other uh, and the communication and the details. I mean, just little things like, Hey, where are the officials dress and where, Hey, let the team know before they come. Hey, here's the, here's the pregame. Here's what's going on to, uh, is the ambulance crew, you know, who has gate, who has that just from a, from a behind the scenes of an athletic director duties, it, it made me, uh, significantly better. When you look at your coaching career, you've been doing this for over 20 years and now you've got guys that you coached, uh, CJ hands for an example at Throckmorton. Now, as a coach, uh, potentially on the other sideline from you, what's that like? And, and how much do you hear from those guys? And do you kind of take pride in the fact that guys that played for you are now on the sidelines? Well, I think one thing that I re- that I really and I one of the state track meets was one of my favorite times of the year, and um, I've been I I feel really honored in this sense because you know aside of there's some in college even right now doing it that are going to have to do their four to five years in college before they get out that are in college to become coaches. But I have, uh, I've been lucky that kids that I've coached, there's 11 of them that are, have been head coaches, uh, in, in football. And so, yeah, guys like CJ, uh, Colt Kitley, who's the offensive coordinator at Stephenville that just won the uh, state championship last year. I've just been really lucky, which to me has to do with the reason we've had success. I'm not the reason we've had the success. I've just had that good of kids who come through to be able to, uh, they understood it. And that's why they're doing it at a high level at the profession that they're doing it right now. I mean, they are, they are head coaches or offensive coordinators at, at large schools or small schools all over the state of Texas. And so for me doing it, you know, let, let's take off minus five years right now. So in, in 16 years, I'm, you know, I feel like my staff, not Mike Reed, but my staff and my teachers in the school, we're almost putting out one a year that's becoming a head football coach uh, or an athletic director one a year. And in a small six-man school, I feel, you know, I feel really honored to, to be a part of that journey with those guys. So we talk religiously all the time. I mean, I could show you my call log. I mean, they're, they're at least once a day, one of those guys is going to holler at me or send me a, a text or a Snapchat. And building on that, because you have such a good relationship when they're players, then they go to college and they become coaches. What advice would you give new coaches on how to build relationships like that with their players? I think the ones that I've coached, I don't give them any advice. I, I think it's modeled. So, you know, I think people are Baptist because their parents are Baptist and they show it. I think people are Republican or Democrat because their parents are Republican or Democrat. So I don't think there's anything really you got to sell in that in that sense. So I would think that my kids would are modeling probably how, how our coaching staffs uh, do it. I, I'm not, I'm not going to take, all credit for this because I, I've had phenomenal staff. I mean, uh, Blaine Davis that was at Throckmorton, Jason Blankenship that's at Jayton, 
um, the, the coaches that I had in Hamilton, uh, there's three kids that, that I had at Hamilton that are now head football coaches right now. And then you turn right around and, and Ryan Blacker, who's there at Jayton. Uh, I've just been around some really, really good people and uh, that have, have modeled that. So I, I really don't. And, I, and when I talk with other people, I just think they see how we are around our kids. Kids crave discipline. So I guess I would start there. Kids crave discipline. I don't know why coaches and adults are fearful of, of disciplining kids. And you and discipline is love. So I'm not saying you have to be a jerk and you got to be screaming and hollering all the time and barking. But kids understand. They know when mom's mad in the house and the tone changes. They, they know that. Uh, they know when they're a little bit late for curfew. Well, it has to have a consequence. And uh, they know it comes from love. So I would say those two things. I mean, just be give them discipline, give them the rules and hold steadfast to it and then love them and celebrate them and acknowledge when they do good and acknowledge when they do bad, too. You know, that, that's a great lead in because we talked with Vance Jones last week about the changes he's seen in 52 years of coaching with kids. And as he said, just what you did, kids want discipline. They still want to, you know, uh, be told what to do and be held accountable. But he did say at the same time that he has seen changes. Have you seen those changes as well in over 20 years of coaching uh, when it comes to coaching those kids and dealing with the parents? Oh, yes. But it, to me, to me, it just hasn't changed how I've coached. Um, I think if you're an effective communicator, I don't care whether it was old school football, you know, old school or new school, uh, be an effective communicator, communicate with the parents, let them know what time the bus leave and let them know what time practice is over. Let them know ahead of time, a week of time, uh, what time you're starting and where you're going. Um, uh, let them know if uh, I, I'll text the parent, uh, you know, that their kid had a bad practice and he's probably five to pound, five pounds lighter because I took five pounds out of his rear. Like I try to let, you know, just try to be an effective communicator. And I think anything that's probably happened in the change in a culture is that this culture wants communication. They expect communication. So for me, that would be the only thing that I probably did, which back in the day, I mean, uh, of coaching, I had a, I mean, I had a rotary phone and, and a, three-way calling and I had to plug into the operator to talk to a parent. So I probably have gotten better over it now just because it's easier to communicate now. So I would just say communication. Well, now you're making me feel old because uh, the only thing you didn't name there was a party line. So, <laughs> well, no. well, that was the three-way calling I was talking about. <laughs> so let's go on the field. Your team's ranked top 10 in the state and it's a very young group is what I'm told. Talk about your team and, and how young they are and, and what you're looking forward to, not only this year, but obviously uh, in the next few years coming up. Well, I think I talked with Bobby a little bit about this. You know, the the, the senior group that we have, and we have some really good senior leadership that have really kind of have, have helped set the pedestal to, to where we want to be. They didn't win a game in junior high. Um, and so I try to tell people that all the time, like, you know, just don't take a, a, a sample size of just junior high success and think it's, well, because you were bad, you're going to be bad or because you were good, you're going to be good. It's just, it, it's fun to enjoy at the moment. Um, but it's also too, not always indicative of what's going to, what's going to be the future. And I think that comes from keeping, you know, if I can give advice to school board members and administrators, if you have somewhat of a good coach that can hand, that can 
keep keep those guys around. Let them. It takes time, man. It takes time. And you're looking at my fifth year now being in Gordon. It just takes time. Uh, but we really have a good group of, of leaders right now that are that are upperclassmen that are really paving a good way. And uh, they've been modeled by the people that were above them that we we really had have had some good football here uh, since I've been here. And yes, we're young and some skilled, you know, areas and things like that. But I, I really don't like to talk about it because I think when you start talking about how young you are, I think people sit there and their natural thing is, oh, well, that bodes well for the future. I kind of like to win right now. I, I, I mean, I, so I, I, I'm, I, I don't really like to say, well, we're young and you know, Hey, I, I, the wrong guy for that. <laughs> Speaking of that, moving on from football, uh, we talked a little bit last night. I went to Gordon at, about track. Tell me what is so wonderful about track and how, how that helps in other programs. I think my coach here, Nelson, I think he just for me, I didn't know any different. Um, I actually grew up in Cheyenne, Wyoming, and then and went to Minnesota for a year before I really came to Texas uh, my sophomore year in high school. And Nelson Campbell was just a big track guy. And at that time, it was 2A. You ran against, two, you know, the now 2A schools. And so it's little six-man schools in their little district. I mean, you'd get the regionals, and you just didn't any have – I mean, it was just – it was tough. So – he probably should have been turned into CPS of how much he ran us. Uh, and in fact, I still debate whether I should, if it's too late to call that in, but um, he ran us so much and it just built this, that mentality. But it's also what I love about track. It's one of those times you can get your arm and put it around a kid and everything's measurable. I mean, he might got 33rd place out of 34 kids, but he ran a, you know, a, 40 minute mile. Well, next week he runs a 39 minute mile. And so it gives you all those little things that you can start praising kids on and building those relationships with kids so that when football starts up and you're really chewing into them and you're giving some discipline to them, they remember that you do love them and that you are pulling for them and that you are there for them. And so, yeah, I'm a big track guy and I, I've been really, really blessed, uh, with having some some phenomenal track talent over the years and been supported by some amazing people. Barbara Krausen, uh, Wes Kitley at Tech. I mean, he will answer the phone anytime I call it. Henry Anderson at Crane are just, just to name a few people. Brad Paris, the Hood family, uh, Troy Hunt and Trenton Hunt. Just, man, I've been around some great track-minded people uh, that can really take an average kid. And, I mean, you're not going to take the – donkey to the Rio Dosa downs and, and, and win it, you know, you, but within realistic, I mean, if you got, you got a little thoroughbred and, you know, and you, somebody else has got it, you're going to win because of the details. And that's something I really appreciate about, appreciate about those guys. Well, you know, you just gave Bobby a, a, a new phrase, taking a donkey to Rio Dosa downs. I can see it in her face. She's going to use that one moving forward. <laughs> hey, I love his analogies. Let me tell you, I'm going to borrow some of those coach Reed. Well, you can have them. They're all free. I won't, I won't charge you. <laughs> so uh, last question for me, Coach, is, you know, the Texas Six was a popular series there. Uh, a lot of people watched that. That's how a lot of people got to know six-man football, uh, watching Coach Lee and Strawn over there. And Gordon got brought up so much in that series. What is your opinion of how that was, was spun? Did you feel like it, it, it put together um, a, a good look at Gordon? 
Oh, I, I can't answer that for, you know, I can't answer that for anybody. I think you would probably have to ask somebody on the outside looking in. I mean, maybe ask yourself that question. I really don't know what it did for Gordon. Uh, you know, and, and to be honest with you, we really didn't focus on it. Uh, you know, we, we were ourselves. Um, they did come spend time with us and, and, and visit with us. You know, the thing is, when you've got a healthy rivalry, like something that's right down the road from us, when my alarm clock goes off, my feet hit the floor ready. You know, Coach Lee has made me a better coach. We can agree and disagree on, on a lot of different topics, uh, but in the end, he is a great coach. He is a winner. He does love kids. He is there for kids. Um, his way is different than my way, but that's okay. There's a lot of people that are different than my way, but he may, he makes me a better coach. Their program makes, makes me better because I, I want to make sure I'm coming to work all the time. And so as far as the light that it kind of shed in, I, I don't know if I'm the person for that does, you know, I, I do know this. I mean, they did a great job of make, of making them, and especially like when we got in the playoffs, we were out really two good football players, you know, we, uh, and then in the district game, you know, JW had the broke hand, so they really couldn't throw. That was the difference in the playoff game, but we didn't have two starters and, and that, you know, just some of the behind the scenes stuff of, of leading into that, uh, we were the walking, we were kind of a walking wounded kind of coming in after kind of winning that district championship. And it's tough too, because we had to play those guys three weeks after, I mean, well, several years there, play them last game of the year, turn right around and play them in three weeks. And where our program was at at that time, we, we were bad to, at, uh, the year before. I mean, we were a JV team, like I said, at best. Uh, we were bad. And so it was really kind of nice to really see a 365 difference, uh, you know, the days, the difference that, that kids, if they will really buy in, they will really listen uh, and do the off-season things, do like what Bobby said, and buy into the track stuff and 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 do that. The difference that kids can make in a 365-day period. They were a very good football team. They've got a good program. Dwayne Lee's deserving of all the success that he's he's put forth. But I really don't know how other people view it. You know, I, I don't know. You tell me, Greg. <laughs> well, I, I, you know, it was kind of interesting. I thought they did a good job of not trying to paint Gordon as – as the bad guys in this situation, which is what, oftentimes what they'll do uh, when you're looking at rivalries. Uh, if they focus on one team, well, the other team's the the bad guy, and you see that a lot. I don't, I don't feel like they did that, uh, but I was really curious what folks in Gordon thought about that and if they felt like they got painted kind of as the bad guy in that series. Yeah, um, I really don't know. I think I think if you really sit back, and we, we actually talk about this uh, you know, at the start of every year, when people really want to talk about how close two communities are, you can really watch the show. And we had our parent meeting and uh, we have a parent meeting to start the football season. And it was real easy to sit there and show one little clip of what was, of what was in there of the intertwinings of the families back and forth and, and, and who, who comes into their film session meetings, uh, who comes in, you know, who comes into their community and vice versa. Our kids, our kids actually work in Strawn, and Strong kids work in Gordon. And uh, we have people that that are strong people that are employed in our school district that live in Strawn. Um, uh, yeah, it's it's that intertwining. So no, I didn't think he did a bad job of, of painting us the villains or anything like that. And and I, I love that little. It, right now, it's a it's a friendly kind of rivalry. Um, it's it, it's fun, and I'm glad that kids get to experience that because. 
there are some tensions that come along with a rivalry. So that's fact. I mean, you, I mean, uh, when I was in high school, yeah, there were kids that if they lost to Strawn, they, you didn't go home. Like they, they stayed the night at a friend's house and they were not going to go home. And I've seen a nine and oh, uh, Gordon team get beat by an 0 and nine Strawn team and vice versa. And in that, and when you have that many emotions come through it, that many families that are that connected, you're talking cousins, aunts, uncles. I mean, you got people that you'll have a you'll have a full section that literally is in the end zone. And the reason they're in the end zone, they can't sit on one side or the other. They just stand in the end zone and there'll be a pack of them because they can't pick a side. And so when those emotions start coming through, there's healthy ways to 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 cheer. There's unhealthy ways to cheer. And so it's it's a good process to communicate with your kids so that then when they get out into the real life, they know how to agree and disagree with somebody who might view things differently. Fantastic, Coach. Well, we do appreciate you joining us this evening. Uh, best of luck to your Longhorns this year. We'll focus on this year's team ranked top 10. Uh, just had another big uh, win on Friday night over Waco Live Oak. So uh, a great job there. But best of luck this season. And uh, hopefully we'll uh, be talking about your Longhorns deep into the playoffs. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Well, Bobby, another great interview from another coach. Uh, this time Mike Reed over at Gordon. Really enjoyed that one. Loved his philosophy. And, you know, it's crazy to know that you got, what do you say, 11 former players now coaching the sidelines. That. May not be a record, but that that's a large number of guys. It really is. And um, it's just uh, a testament to how he's coached in the past. And those kids, you know, they obviously learned something. I mean, 11, that is a lot. Yeah, I really enjoyed that conversation. Uh, we talked a lot yesterday when I went to Gordon. And uh, I always enjoy having my conversations with him. Well, and speaking of Gordon and the Longhorns there, and we'll get right into it uh, because well, we got so many notes for you. And, 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 and we'll, I guess we'll stay on the field first, then we'll go off the field. I don't know. I guess we could go at this either way, but let's go with it on the field. Talk about Gordon. They beat Waco Live Oak on Friday night, 69 to 24. Longhorns ranked number 10 in the state. So we'll stick in Division One. Uh, number one, Westbrook, all over Spur, 58-8. Cedric Ware, yeah, that guy. 174 yards rushing, five touchdowns. Parker Matlock, uh, 69 yards through the air and two touchdowns. Corey Hamilton, the workhorse for Spur, 16 carries, eight yards. Yeah, Folks, he – Defense is for real. He was – yeah, he was double teamed all night. Um, I won't tell you what his mother said, uh, but it was funny. <laughs> Um, it pretty much he was a lame duck because he just had two all over him all night. And, but, um, uh, you know, Westbrook they're they're just really, really tough, really <laughs> tough this year. I've seen it firsthand. They definitely are. Number two, Abbott, speaking of tough, uh, the Panthers all over Bynum 60 day, Riley Sestala, uh, the choir boy, you sent me a picture of him. He looks he like a choir boy. He does. He just looks so sweet and innocent. And then. You look at his stats and you're like, my gosh, he's a terror on the field. <laughs> he is 196 yards rushing, five touchdowns. The Abbott offense only ran 18 plays, racked up 304 yards. Buying them, Jackson Allen doing his best there for the Bulldogs. 14 carries for 35 yards. That takes us to probably the game of the week. Number three, Rankin versus number eight, Knox City. 
Uh, May kind of took out Knox City, uh, kind of ran away with that one at the end last week. So I'm sure a lot of people wanting to see where Knox City stacks up, as well as Rankin lost in the last minute to Westbrook. And guess what? Rankin found themselves in a game decided in the final minute of the of the game again this week. Difference is Rankin ends up on top. They were down 43 to 42 when they gave the ball on a fourth down to, and I love this name, Deacon Armanderas from 11 yards out with 29 seconds left. He takes it to the house. They get the two-point conversion kick and beat Knox City 50 to 43. What a game in this one. Barrett Jackson, 27 carries, 247 yards and five touchdowns. Blake Wise, 146 yards through the air. And uh, for the Greyhounds, a good night for Bryson Callaway. 13 to 23, 141, did throw four touchdowns. Uh, also had two interceptions. And then uh, Devin Guillory, we've talked about him. Five receptions for 65 yards and two touchdowns. What a game this was. Ranking got out. Knox City did not give up. All of a sudden you look up and Knox City is ahead 43 to 42. Give Rankin credit. They didn't fold. They established a drive down the field and finished it off there in the final 29 seconds. Yeah, that was a crazy game. I was watching that score, and I, I just had no idea who was going to win that one. That was that was a great game. If you were there, uh, be glad. I love games like that. Uh, we'll see how Rankin and Knox City uh, work out the next few weeks. No doubt there. Uh, number four, May, taking on the Bearcats of Garden City. That's two teams that seem like they're playing uh, big-time teams every week. May wins this one, 63-34. to 34. Braden Steele, yes, Coach Steele, son, 13 of 25, 232 through the air, four touchdowns. This is what's impressive, though, 17 tackles, Bobby, 17. Uh, yeah, that that's completely impressive. <laughs> Bryson Guerrero, he five carries, 117 yards and three touchdowns. And Damian Salinas, 10 carries, 72 yards. And he decided that he'd chip in 15 tackles. He was going to let Braden be the leading tackler this week. <laughs> oh, I know Damian's one of your favorites to watch. So he is. That's a kid just goes all out. Uh, number five, Erion County, Oliver Highland, 69 to 24. Let's see if I can get this right. Trevin Kofel, 10 to no, 12. No, I have to tell you. I've, oh, I, you got I, it finally for us. I got a call from Coach Kofel. Kofel. <laughs> No, and uh, we had a big laugh about it. Thank you, uh, Coach, for calling me and setting me straight. But, yeah, we had a really funny conversation about that. And I told him, I promised him that I would remember Kofel. All right. Well, Trevin Kofel, 10 of 12, 148, seven touchdowns. Okay. He only completed 10 passes. Seven of those go for scores. J.J. Harrison on the ground, six carries, 120 yards, two touchdowns. Parker Posey, three carries, 60 yards, and two touchdowns. Erion County all over Highland. Uh, on Saturday, Jonesboro took on Greenville Christian. No problem there. Coach Gallegos' group uh, continues to roll 62 to nothing. Uh, Thursday night, Happy and Crest did battle, and uh, Happy wins this one 46 to nothing. Trice Johnson, 16 carries, 132 yards, and a touchdown. He also had the game-winning pick six. 15 seconds into the third quarter. That's when that one ended. So those one of, that's one of those where, and I've seen it before, you're like, did we really have to go to halftime? Well, that's uh, what happened. Jimmy Reyes with a pick six and Kiton Johnson, another good uh, game uh, through the air, 74 yards receiving and uh, two touchdowns. Another matchup of two top 10 teams, one in Division One, one in Division Two, and Division Two takes it this time. Number four, Lorraine. We had Coach Popham on last week. 
And uh, his Bulldogs, hey, they take out the Ira Bulldogs 70-34. to A.J. Williams, 175 yards rushing and four scores. Damian Walthall, 169 yards rushing and two touchdowns. So that Bulldog ground game was at it. Uh, Ira, uh, Coach Goodwin there. Jaron Pena, 19 carries, 82 yards and a touchdown. And uh, Caden Forey, uh, 73 yards receiving and two scores. To me, that's a big win for Lorraine because Ira has impressed me this year. Yes, uh, you know, we all thought maybe Ira's going to be down, but, you know, Coach Goodwin, he's not going to let that happen. But Lorraine, they jumped on the Bulldogs, and they got them a good win. They definitely did. Uh, moving on down to Division Two, uh, number one to Benjamin after being off last week. They defeat Guthrie 88 to nothing. Crazy, huh? 16 plays, 438 yards on offense. Yes, Grayson Rigdon played, uh, had the car accident on Sunday. There was some concern of just how serious that was. He got air flighted to Fort Worth, but he ends up playing Friday night. Three carries, 140 yards, two touchdowns, 2-2 through the air, 79 yards, and a touchdown. The Mustangs all over the Jaguars in that one. Richland Springs had the week off. (laughs) We'll get to Richland Springs in a little bit. Number three, Cherokee, the Indians, all over Bluffdale and the Bobcats, 84-44. We got some love there in Cherokee because we got the great Greg Tepper to come in there and watch a six-man game. I love it. Now, if he can just bring Matt Step with him, we'll be in good shape. But That's uh, never going to happen. I started to say, you and I might get a little bit old before that one happens. Uh, It's just not going to happen. So, I mean, we shouldn't (laughs) even talk about it. (laughs) On down the board here, number five, Balmeray defeats uh, the Shorthorns for Marfa, 60 to nothing. In a close one. Hey, this surprised me. Number six, Jayton falls to P- uh, beats Petersburg 40 to 34. The Buffaloes were up by 14 in this ball game. Coach Stanland's group rallies late in this one, but did it surprise you that the Buffaloes hung with Jayton is the way that they did? Well, you know, they have uh two two really good players. They got the helmet stickers, um, the Brewington kid and the Paras kid, senior and a sophomore, and they play really well together. But, um, you know, the Buffaloes had a really good game, and um, Jaybird's been struggling a little bit. Their main man, Aiden Salazar, has a has an injury. So um, I do believe he was playing, but he was playing with the injury. You know, tough kids do that sometimes. Uh, more so from our time period, <laughs> you know, <laughs> back in the day. We used to, you know, injury, puh, we're going to play anyway. Um, you know, these, these days that, you know, parents are kind of worried about that, which I completely understand. Um, I hear but, but yeah, that was a good game. That was a really good game. That was, uh, number seven, Klondike beats Sands 74 to 50 Creed Warren, only 19 carries in this game, 328 yards and eight touchdowns. So just about every other time he touched the ball, he, uh, got into the end zone. He also had one uh, receiving touchdown of 30 yards. Uh, Jared Quintanilla in that game, 14 carries, 164 yards, and two touchdowns as well. Paducah on Thursday night takes out Miami. I was really curious about this game. Miami starting to make some noise up here in the Texas Panhandle, but the Dragons, they're awfully tough at home. They beat Miami 92-60. to Silverton. Been a long time since they've been in the top 10 at number nine. No problem with last buddy, 76 to 28. Sawyer Francis, 146 yards rushing, four touchdowns. Also had a kickoff return for a touchdown. 
uh, and also caught uh, three balls for 50 yards and a touchdown. And then Cooper Cox is six foot five quarterback. Yeah, six foot five quarterback and six man, eight to nine, 166 yards and four touchdowns. And then wrapping up the top 10, Whit Harrell over Meta, 59 to 12. Shamadrick Weaver, 185 yards rushing, four touchdowns. Brent Robinson uh, tacked on two touchdowns as well. Let's kind of go through uh, the wrap-up. Uh, some uh, in, interesting games are those that we've got stats on. Groom takes out Claude, 60-38. to 38. Stephen Keeler, love this kid. All of 5'6", 5'7", but he is a go-daddy. And 290... fast, so fast. Oh, yeah. 294 yards rushing, four touchdowns, 14 of 26 through the air, 144 and four touchdowns. Oh, yeah, he had 11 tackles, too. And <laughs> Noah Wood helped him out there as well with 11 tackles and an INT. Uh, going down the scoreboard here, uh, Covington over Perrin Witt, 48 to nothing. Caden Dorsey with 240 yards rushing and six touchdowns. Also had a 48-yard receiving touchdown and 10 tackles. Josh Rivas, uh, three carries for 44 yards and interception, six tackles and three pass breakups. Say that five times fast. <laughs> uh, a game that I called for you Friday night, Nazareth and Valley doing battle. And what's got to be the fastest First half I've ever seen. First half, Bobby, was done in 35 minutes. Oh, 35 wow. Minutes. We were flying. That game took just over 90 minutes to play. I, bet, I bet no flags come out of the pockets either, did they? It, well, a few did, actually. Not a whole lot, though, but it, it was wild. It just it. Both of these teams really trying to work that clock. Obviously, Coach Stanilan, you know, he's shorthanded. He's missing three starters there. But, uh, hey, Nazareth is impressive. Uh, you know, Luke Schulte, we've talked about him the first three weeks. Well, they changed things up and, uh, I maybe used him as a decoy. I don't know. He only had 10 carries in this ball game, but Will Young, their normal quarterback, seven carries, 80 yards and a touchdown. Sterl Welps, their fullback. You don't see, see this a whole lot. 11 carries, 57 yards, five touchdowns in the ball game. With 57 then, yards? Really? Yeah. Exactly. He had uh, two or three of those for one yard out. So okay, uh, I was hey, you got to make the most of them, right? <laughs> hey, he did. Look at that. He did. Corbin Stanley, uh, 10 of 13, 157 yards and two touchdowns. And Cash Spiri. Yes, we are related in some way. I, I, that, we'll have to talk about that later. Three receptions, 59 yards and two touchdowns. Uh, Sanderson and Van Horn. That was a game I was looking forward to. That one was canceled. It was. Let me tell you why. Well, we'll tell you why in just a little bit. All right. So we'll, we'll get there to that one. Uh, Rochelle over Lamita, 65 to 36. Kelton Williams with 236 yards rushing, five touchdowns, another 176 yards through the air, and two touchdowns. Hey, break out the Headley Owls. They've won two in a row, 53 to six over Patton Springs. Josh Booth with 118 yards passing and three touchdowns. And Isaac uh, Weather Reed, 98 yards rushing and a touchdown. Uh, continuing to go down the board here. I think that's about all I've got. Anything else you want to add as far as on the uh, – well, here's one interesting game I want to add real quick. Gorman over Strawn, 52-50, to 50 and what had to have been a very exciting, uh, tightly contested contest there. Yeah, I saw that score, and I was like, wow. Now that was a game. You know, I told you, I I've watched Gorman, and I've watched Strawn. And, you know, Strawn, they basically started over, but there is a point in there when Strawn flips the switch and they they become something that they weren't at the beginning of the season. 
I really think maybe they've hit that switch because uh, that that Gorman score surprised me. Uh, most definitely. All right. So there's on the field. Let's go off the field where things are wild and crazy. And let's start last Monday. Okay. Executive committee meeting. And, and we'll, we'll preface this up front. We're not going to really give you our opinions. We're just going to tell you what happened. Uh, opinions are for forums and everything else. That's not what we're here for. Uh, do we have our opinions? Yes. Are we going to give them to you? No. So if you're looking for a hot take, you're not going to get it from either one of us. But the state executive committee had the hearing for Richland Springs and Coach Jerry Burkhart. Um, Coach Burkhart suspended three years from coaching. Uh, that is about as long as they will go as far as suspending a coach. Uh, it was obvious in in the best I could do watching in an airport, and then I know you were watching. The one thing both of us took out of it is the executive committee definitely felt like uh, Coach Burkhart violated recruiting rules, and that's why they handed down such a stiff penalty. Yeah, they had to have had some kind of evidence. Um, I know that people say things about the UIL, but I don't. I don't think. I mean, the people on the executive committee are people who actually do the job day in and day out in other school districts. So it's it's not like they're, you know, and they're usually from large schools. But uh, from from my viewpoint, I would think, I would hope that there was some type of evidence to lead them to to a decision. I, I really can't question it. Um, it's, it's unfortunate. Um, I hate it for the kids. I mean, that's basically all I got to say about that. Yeah, there you go. Uh, <laughs> Richland Springs also placed on probation. They didn't take any kind of, you know, ability to go to playoffs or, or, or away from Richland Springs. That was on the table, I think. Uh, but they chose not to do that, put them on probation. So they'll be watched for a couple of years, but, uh, the big news out of that one is Coach Jerry Burkhardt of uh, those multiple state title games now suspended from coaching for three years. So big news there. And then we go to the weekend, which is <laughs> we'll call it Thursday, Friday, and I guess Saturday. All kinds of things. Last week, I think, was the full moon, but it must have had a hangover effect because it showed up. Tell us about it. It did. Uh, there was not a full moon. I checked. Um, on the way home from Gordon last night because I got so many calls about different things. But um, there was some crazy stuff that happened Friday night. So I'm just going to sum up. Um, one team's bus got stuck in traffic from a wreck that included Hazmat being on the scene. The junior high team got to the game. The varsity was not able to get there because they were stuck on the interstate. Um, from what I understand from personnel working, that particularly nasty spill is that the work continued well past 1 a.m. this morning. So it was a, a, I guess it was a bad wreck with hazmat chemicals included. Then across the state in another game, uh, the chain gang was replaced during the game to de-escalate a tenuous situation. Notice I didn't say ejected. They were not ejected. There were no ejections from that game. I talked to the coach of the team. Actually, I want to give a shout out because Rochelle does a really good job about this. Anyone from Rochelle or the chain gang, anyone associated with school, even fans, I was told, 
if someone is ejected from the game, they are required to go through the same training that a coach would go through. Isn't that cool? That is cool. That I is. wish more people would do that. But anyways, uh, the chain gang was um, refreshed, let's say, mid-game. Um, and I don't think I've ever heard of that happening before. Have you? Uh, no, that that is a little different. I, I do know, though, that um, sometimes, you know, it, it does create a tenuous situation when you look at it because the chain gangs are the home team and they're always on the visitor side. And, you know, you, it, I think it's tough at times when you think about that because you've got to make sure that, hey, they can do the job because it's important. Right. Uh, you know, it is. I think, I think it gets forgotten a lot. Uh, until you're in a tight game and you go, wait, we had the first down. Well, they didn't mark it right. Well, that's your team. Or, or if you're the visitors, well, that's home cooking, you know. So y- you see that. But, uh, you know, it, you got to, I think you have to be careful at times, too, who you put over there because uh, situations can occur. That's true. Well, that brings us to lucky number three on the crazy Friday night. Um, in another game, yet uh, further across the state, the chain gang announcer, this is the public announcer, and just general overwhelming negativity from um, those, you know, the chain gang and the announcer. You know, when the announcer um, gives his opinion on team players from the opposing team and refing calls over the loudspeaker, that's usually not a good thing. No. Roby decided that this was escalating out of control and they didn't want it to get worse. Um, so they chose to exit that game. Coach DeLeon said, you know, I, I just didn't want any of my kids to get hurt or something bad to happen. So, you know, I, I trust that he, he knew what was going on, but some of the things that were described in that game were seriously off kilter. So there was some seriously bad juju last uh, last Friday. There was no full moon, but I have confirmed that Mercury is in retrograde. <laughs> so maybe oh. that had something to do with it. Maybe it did. I don't know. A crazy, crazy night across the state. So let's get some other cool facts, things that uh, we kind of ran into. And uh, the, the first one I want to uh, approach here is... The Grand Falls Royalty Holy Cross game. And I think this is really cool. As a dad of a parent of a special needs kid, uh, the Holy Cross coach called a timeout so that Grand Falls Royalty could get a player with cerebral palsy out uh, so they could run a touchdown in. Uh, Everyone on the field celebrated. What a great moment. And we see that a lot more now. And I think it's fantastic that the teams work together and they do that. And for anybody who goes, okay, well, that was cool, but I've seen this now 200 times. I promise you, you don't understand what that means to the young man or woman who has the special needs. It doesn't matter how many times it's now happened. You you don't understand what that means to them. It's so to do special this for every single kid. Exactly. And uh, so, you know, hats off to Holy Cross. Great job by Grand Falls Royalty. Love these stories. You play them a thousand times for me. And, I'm with that. And we'll tell them every single time. Every yes. single time. I love those stories because those kids, it just makes their whole world a little bit brighter. And I just love that. I'm with you there. So you got some other notes. Um, I'll let, I'll let you go into those. Okay. Well, the first one I have to address is 
I went to the Happy Crest game on Thursday. Let me tell you, every time I go to Happy, your announcer, dude, who is that? Rick Bloodworth. He has got to be the greatest in-house PA announcer in the state. I would agree with that, but that man has a serious affinity for the world-famous Happy Concession Stand, and I think I heard him say that at the very least 26 times. And you know what? The wind was blowing Thursday night, and it was blowing right from the concession stand across the field, and I'm here to tell you that smelled so, so good. And I got so hungry smelling that, but I couldn't leave because I was taking pictures. So I didn't, I didn't get a taste of the world famous happy concession stand, but um, it sure did smell good. Maybe, maybe I'll have to just come to happy one game to, um, you know. You should sit next to uh, Rick. He he is about as witty as they come, and I know you've been to multiple games and you've heard some of the things that that he says and he just gets them off the cuff get this one he's a preacher and so i was gonna ask you if he was a preacher is he because he was he was uh pushing out about the baptist church and all kinds of stuff so (laughs) is he the baptist preacher i you know i don't even remember now i really don't oh he is wonderful um you know he is the one who called me out when i went brown well he didn't know my name (laughs) And he said, we're glad a Texas 1A fan is here. We don't know her name, but she's here. We're glad she is. And that's when I figured out, this is about five years ago. Um, that's when I figured out, well, maybe I should tell people my name because that was kind of embarrassing. <laughs> well, and, and I will tell you, and we'll we'll get off this story, but the really fun thing thing is I get to announce up there with with Rick and Walter McNeil who runs the uh the scoreboard and I will I will say certain things in my play by play I might say hey good seven yard carry there and Rick just witty as he can be he goes well I really think it was six but we'll go with seven third down and seven you know or something like that <laughs> he's hilarious he, great to work with and you're right he's just he makes the game enjoyable. It doesn't matter what the score is. If nothing else, listen to Rick, and you're going to absolutely love it. Well, you know what? I, just like when I played sports, I block everything out when I'm taking pictures or, you know, I'm just in my own little world. I'm so focused. But every time I go to Happy, he breaks through that. I don't know how he does it. But I listen to everything that man says over the loudspeaker, and it's the craziest thing because I just don't do that. So <laughs> you can tell him that he has reached me in my time of focus, but I sure have heard about the world-famous Happy Concession Stand <laughs> many times. Wow. That's fantastic. <laughs> well, moving on to Guthrie, uh, Stephen, he has been in charge of church music for years. He also has his own band. He's one of our broadcasters. You know him as Stephen Reynolds. Um, he wanted to give a shout out to an eighth grader from Guthrie. He said she sang the national anthem a cappella. Let's see. Her name was is C.J. Winslow. And he said it's the best he has heard in years. And he said he still gets cold chills thinking about her singing the national anthem. Now, how good of a shout out is that? That's one heck of a shout out there and impressive. 
Oh, all those things and more. Pretty Pirates. We're so not, glad not, they're back with us after 60 years. And, and we're not talking pretty. We're talking yeah. pretty. Yes. P-R-I-D-D-Y. The Pretty Pirates. This is their first football season since 1960. And this past week, they won their first varsity game in 62 years. They beat Panther Creek 53 to 28. So congratulations to the Pirates. That's awesome. It really is. And then this is a really cool story. Uh, we have it out on our webpage. So you can actually go to um, the Martha Giant to read their article about this. But a Marfa team, team, his name is Nathan Pena. He is number 70 for the Marfa Shorthorns. And uh, we put his picture out there too, so you can see him. But what he did for uh, 9-11, he paid tribute to the fallen 911 firefighters. He walked the equivalent of 110 stories at Martin Field in Marfa to honor the 343 firefighters who lost their lives. Nathan intends to get his EMT basic and wants to serve in the U.S. Air Force and become an aircraft rescue firefighter. But you can read all about Nathan and his tribute to the 9-11 firefighters who lost their lives that fateful day in 2001. Um, we put the link out on our webpage. So go to 1afan.com. Click on Backroads Podcast and you'll see it down there. And it's a great article. They have wonderful pictures of him doing it. And um, shout out to Nathan. That's a wonderful way to honor our first responders. It is. And for those who are worried about today's youth, there's a great example of, guess what? Youth are doing some really good things. So a nice job there by Nathan Pena over at Marfa. So let's move on to a volleyball. And uh, we'll kind of run through this real quick. Fayetteville still cemented and cemented. We'll get that right in a minute. In the number one spot, the Mogulets up four mm. spots, number four. I had to think for a second. Natchez makes the jump from number five, from number nine to number five. Uh, Benjamin and St. Joe move down two spots to six and seven, respectively. And Richards climbs into the top 10. So Fayetteville, Blum, very best. Monday, Natchez, Benjamin, St. Joe, Aquila, Klondike, and Richards rounds out your top 10 in volleyball. Let's move over to cross country. I know you want to give a shout out to Chris Langston, who's been taking care of you there in region three. He has, he, he uh, emailed out of the blue. Thank you for doing that, Chris, but he has been keeping up with region three cross country times for the girls. Uh, those are the ones that I've seen. These are the meets through September 10th, I believe. He's doing a great job. He was asking me if I was doing the other regions, but it's becoming more common to have a cross-country schedule where you run every week. Used to, you would run one or two before, you know, districts. So he's got Lindsay Maupin from Dodd City. She ran a 12-15 at the UT Regional Preview on September 10th. Celeste Robertson from Miller Grove ran a 12-47 at the SNS Ram Run on September 10th. Carissa Snyder and Sydney Parton from Pretty, P-R-I-D-D-Y, those pirates, ran a 1250 and a 1259 respectively. 
on September 10th at the UT Regional Preview. So we've got a few times there in cross country. Uh, I know district's coming up here in the next couple of weeks. We will get all of that compiled and on the website and pushed out for you. All right. So, uh, yeah, you're right. Cross country, uh, we're going to be in district. We're going to be in regionals before you know it. Uh, I saw a picture uh, today, in fact, of Tatum Goodman. Uh, we know that name at Spring Lake Earth running in Lubbock. So uh, there's a name to keep an eye out. Did and, you happen and, to get a time? I did not see a time, but uh, I'm sure it was beyond anything that a normal human being can do. <laughs> she probably sprinted the entire way. That girl, boy, she can run. Yeah, that's one. And, uh, you know, real quick, before we get out of cross country, I know somebody sent you a picture of both Brandon Passman at Guthrie and Isaiah Billingsley of Alabama and Auburn competing respectively against each other in the Southeast Conference at Alabama and Auburn. How cool is that? It is. I want to give a shout out to Teresa Passman. That's Brandon's mom. She went to watch them run. I think it was the North Alabama race. And they were running against each other and they were right there neck and neck. She snapped a picture. And so that's up on our webpage as well. It is so incredibly cool to me that we have two 1A kids who competed so well against each other for several years. Now still competing at the highest level that you can get to, you know, division one SEC Auburn versus Alabama. Um, we'll try to keep you updated on how their season goes, but I just thought that was incredibly cool because all of us have seen them race, not only in cross country, but also at the state track meet. So um, if you, everybody knows those names, if you know anything about track or cross country, so good luck to Brandon. Good luck to Isaiah. Keep the competition alive and represent 1A schools well, guys. Two outstanding athletes right there. Uh, so let's go. Uh, we'll finish this thing off real quick. Lehman Six Man 101 and some rule changes that went in in 1938 that might make some of us go, do what? I know, right? I was reading this in Six Man Football Magazine from, uh, let's see, the 1954 edition. And there were some rule changes. So I'm just going to read them off because um, it, it I think what's funny is some of the commentary that goes along with these rule changes as to the reason they change. That just makes me giggle. Uh, not that I giggle a lot, but you know what I mean? <laughs> okay. So 15 yards in four downs. Uh, that was a new rule in 1938. And it was to create a better balance between offense and defense. Also defensive players were allowed to advance a fumble. Goal posts were widened to 25 feet and the crossbar low, uh, lowered to nine feet. And the value of the goal scored on the try for point after TD was changed to two points, while the try by a pass or a run made it one point. Now, this is cool. These changes were made based on an injury study in Wisconsin that found more injuries occur in a play near the goal line. I believe that's true. I've seen it myself. The rules, okay, here's in quotes, encourage this, I love this, the drop kick. As drop kicking has a special appeal to boys since they may practice on their own. 
Drop kicking is not easy, by the way. It is not easy, but obviously it appeals to males because, you know, they can practice it on their own. And we see it all the time in the end zone. You know, the kids playing, you know, outside of football games, they're constantly drop kicking a football. So, and the last rule that changed, uh, forward passing was also encouraged when all players were made eligible to receive the forward pass. But I have to say that my favorite quote from this article uh, from Six Man Magazine, 1954, is most players will block and tackle when they know their efforts are appreciated. Well, that's maybe not how we would say it in 2022, but it still holds effective today, right? Well, it does, but it's just <laughs> the way it's worded just made me laugh out loud uh, <laughs> because <laughs> I think it's funny that Yes, here's this list of rule changes, but they they have to they have to comment on all of them and give their two cents as to why why these rules changed. And I just I just love that. It's awesome history. And so I thought I'd bring that to you this week in Lehman Six Man One on one oh one. Well, we appreciate that, Bobby. It's always good to look back in time and to see how things were working there. And uh, so those rule changes in thirty eight and then a great a uh, quote from 1954. Well, let's finish this thing off real quick. Uh, one thing that we did miss on the football side, just uh, big games coming up next week. Silverton at Jayton. That's a matchup of two top 10 teams. Looking forward to that one. Before that, a good game as well. Whit Harrell and Throckmorton doing battle. Uh, other games across the state. Rankin in another big one. Uh, boy, Van Horn's going to get a test. Van Horn at Rankin. That should be outstanding. Garden City, the road doesn't get any easier. They've got to go to Westbrook. Uh, oh yeah klondack at ira and then this one i think is kind of interesting balmaray at buena vista a lot of people talked about buena vista being a really good team here come the bears and coach jones we're about to find out uh, exactly uh how good buena vista is i think and uh, that should be an interesting game to watch i i think so as well actually i'm leaning toward going to that game i need to go see buena vista and coach p over there since i can't say his last name um <laughs> <laughs> neither can you so you you have no right to laugh oh no i can laugh at you all day long oh, oh that's right i forgot <laughs> so funny oh uh, yeah that's gonna be a that's gonna be a wild west game and and i'm all for it so i might be i might be heading due south on friday we'll see i'm trying to figure out where i'm gonna go this week so well, best of luck, Bobby. Let's let's get out of here. I want to thank our special guest, Coach Mike Reed, over at Gordon. Uh, but until next week, I'm Craig Spear with the Happy Sports Network and PressPassports.com. And I'm Bobby Brown with Texas 1A Fan. Remember, guys, go forward and do good. <laughs>